Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Goaltending, where your why is bigger than your excuses. I'm your host, Will Bland, and today we have an incredible author joining us to talk about vertical development and mindsets. But before we get into introducing our guest, I just want to say thank you for tuning in. Uh, we're truly grateful to be able to be a part of your journey. I just want to remind you this truly is all about you. So the challenge is take something away from this episode. Don't just listen. Uh, find something that you can apply to your journey. The ask is, if you've listened before, you already know it, like, subscribe, uh, You know, leave a five-star review. If you find the information useful, please share it with somebody. Uh, it can be great information, but if people don't hear it, it can't make an impact. So please share it. Uh, and we would love to hear from you. So, uh, you, you know, be sure to comment with your thoughts and questions as well. Now, our guest today is an associate professor at California State University, Fullerton, where he's part of the second largest business school in the U.S., and on top of that, he's a leadership consultant who's worked with CVS Health, Ford, and Circle K, just to name a few places. And he's researched leadership for over 10 years, uh, published over 20 peer-reviewed articles across some of the top academic journals in management, and published two books, uh, Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling book, Success Mindsets, and most recently, The Elevated Leader, which I can personally say are, are both great, incredible book. So I'm going to encourage you to pick those up today. Uh, I'm so honored to have you here today. Ryan Gottfordson, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. And I'm honored to be here. I, I mean, I, I don't have a podcast, but I've been on, I don't know, maybe 200 different podcasts. And so I've learned a little bit about the podcast world and just the, almost the audacity to start a podcast is awesome, right? Because it's in some ways it's a, it's a thankless job but what you're doing is you're putting out content that's designed to elevate people and elevate the world. So kudos for, for putting in the time and effort to doing it. Thank you very much. That means a lot. And, uh, I, you know, I found a lot of connection through reading your books, um, and, and doing this. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm on the right track. Uh, I, I don't want to give too much away because I automatically want to start talking about pieces in the book, but I want to, I want to save that for you. Um, so really to kick it off, I just want to let you get into introducing uh, the topic of vertical development. So can you just introduce the, you know, the difference between horizontal and vertical development for us? Yeah. So to me, this was game changing, like learning that there's more than one type of development because we are, we're raised, our educational system, our athletics programs, they're all suited around one type of vertical development, which is what I would call vertical or sorry, (laughs) horizontal development. So, all, and horizontal development is about gaining new knowledge and more skills. We're kind of like, okay, what is my gaps in terms of my knowledge and my skills and how do I close those gaps? And, mm-hmm. and it's a lot like downloading an app onto an iPad. And that's awesome. Like we all want new apps on our iPads because that allows us to do more. But here's the limitation with horizontal development because horizontal development's great but it does have a limitation is that if we add an app onto an iPad, that doesn't necessarily make the iPad operate any more effectively. Like I could download the accounting app by taking an accounting class, or I could download the, I'm working with my son right now on, on baseball. He plays little league uh, baseball. Like I could download the, the great bat swing app on his iPad. And those are great. Those will allow him to do well on the baseball diamond or if it's the accounting app, do great at an accounting job. But Mm -hmm. but does downloading these apps improve how effectively we navigate life? Like, can we handle change, pressure, stress, uncertainty, and complexity any better? No. If we want that which I think all of us do, we need a different form of development. And it's a form of development most people are not familiar with. I know that I wasn't. It's a form of development called vertical development. And vertical development is all about upgrading our own internal operating system. Literally what we're doing when we vertically develop is we are becoming a more complex being so that we can navigate more complex arenas. 
And, and the degree to which we can do this is the more effective we're going to be in whatever arena we happen to operate within. That's a, a fantastic explanation of the two. Um, I fell in love with the concept too. And I also love that, you know, you, you mentioned that vertical development has, it's been around for a little bit, uh, like not super long yet. And so it's something that people just haven't really discovered yet, but it makes perfect sense when you look at the iPad analogy of, you know, upgrading the operating system. Yeah. So it's, it is helpful to kind of get the history here of vertical development. So the term is fairly new. The vertical development was coined about 10 years ago. Um, and so with that coinage, I, I think it's become more popular, which is great uh, because we, we surely need it in our world. Uh, but the concepts behind it actually date back to the 1960s. In fact, um, there's been a lot of research done on vertical development since the 1960s. But one of the issues is it's kind of been hidden in a niche field of study. And that field of study is developmental psychology. So developmental psychologists as a whole have primarily focused on child development. And we know that children go through different developmental stages um, and they do so rather automatically, right? As they go from infants to adults, it's almost like regardless of what we do, they're going to develop. Well, mm -hmm. for a very long time before the 1960s, so from the 1880s to the 1960s, developmental psychologists kind of assumed that adults don't develop. But in the 1960s, and this is where the vertical development research started, is a select few developmental psychologists started to wonder, well, do adults develop? And if so, do they go through different developmental stages? And what they found is that, yes, adults do develop. And yes, there are three primary adult development stages. But what they also found was that most adults never develop in adulthood. And so the big takeaway from this research is that, look, development as a child is a function of time. Development as an adult is no longer a function of time. We don't vertically develop just by getting older. It now becomes a function of effort. It now becomes something that we have to dive into and engage with if we want to vertically develop in adulthood. Um, so for me, that, that's been a big takeaway is we can, most don't, but then how do we do it? And that's what, that's what we can dive into. But also, as I mentioned, is this research has identified three different levels of adult development. Mm -hmm. And when we understand those, now we could start to gauge and measure where am I at? What is my vertical altitude? And then how do I level up from wherever I happen to be? Yes. Will you please, uh, like, can you introduce those three mind levels for people? For sure. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so I'll start at a high level, Will. And I'll, if you want to dive deeper, then I'll let you to let you guide me deeper. So yeah, at a really sure. high at a really high level, the the first level, it's a level that I call mind 1.0, right? And I'll, I'll go mind 2.0 and mind 3.0 because these are representative of different internal operating systems. And when we go from one level to the other, we're upgrading those systems. And really what we're doing as we go from one level to another is we're, we're shifting the needs that our body is wired to fulfill. So at the base level, mind 1.0, our body is wired to be safe, to be comfortable, and to belong. We kind of mm -hmm. just want to fit in. We don't necessarily want to come in and lead or rock the boat. We just kind of say to the groups that we, we, we join, you tell me what to do and I'll go and do it, provided you keep me safe, comfortable, and feeling like I belong. So what research has found is that 64% of all adults spend their adult life in this level. Mm -hmm. Right? So almost two-thirds of all people never vertically develop in adulthood. 35%, just over one-third, um, get to the second level of adult development, vertical development. And the second level is MIND 2.0. And what you're going to see here is that our needs dramatically change. Our needs here at this level are to stand out, advance, and get ahead. And in fact, 
it's this change is so dramatic is we are now okay being unsafe, uncomfortable, and not belonging in order to stand out, advance, and get ahead. So when mm-hmm. we're at this level, we're more independent thinkers. We're willing to push back, back against our group's beliefs. And when we when we get into this level, we kind of want to step in and we want to be leaders because we've got our own independent beliefs that we want to put to the test. So what mm-hmm. we find is that 35% of all adults get here and 85% of executives operate at this level. So these are the types of people that I oftentimes call progress makers. They're the go-getters. Let's get it done. I want results. I want to win. I want to advance. I want to get ahead. They have a terrific Mm -hmm. amount of energy around those things. But while there's some good things about it, there's also some limitations, which we'll see when we talk about the third level. So does those first two levels make sense to you, Will? Absolutely. Um, I couldn't help but but think... Is any of the research, did you take like Maslow's hierarchy of needs into mm. some of it sounds similar uh, into how that ties in to those mind levels? So, yeah, great question. So Maslow's work actually is what inspired these developmental psychologists to think through this. Now, okay. what we've learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs is it's a great theory but it isn't empirically upheld. So the reality is, is that you don't need lower order needs met to be able to focus on higher order needs. So so anyways, Mm. there's some issues with Maslow's. uh, It's a great theory. It isn't empirically upheld. But here's what's interesting about this. When you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and vertical development is let's just take somebody who doesn't have some of the basic needs. Let's just say they mm-hmm. they don't have, you know, a roof to live under. They don't have shelter. Well, that's a basic need. Well, how do we get somebody from going to from I don't have this to getting to a place where they have it? Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is is in order for them to get there, we've actually got to help them vertically develop. When they vertically develop, They think and process in different ways and in such ways that are more aligned with actually obtaining the need that they have. So so the vertical development should come before the fulfillment of certain needs, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So how about mind 3.0? Do we jump right into it? Yep, let's get into it. So mind 1.0 is I'm wired to stand in. Mind Mm -hmm. 2.0 is I'm wired to stand out. And mind 3.0, we don't care about standing in and we don't care about standing out. What we care about is about contributing, adding value, and lifting others. Right? We This is not about us. It's about something bigger than ourselves. And this is why I give... I find that there's different types of podcasters, if you will, Will. I'll, we kind of mentioned this at the beginning. Is yeah. I don't think that there's many Mind 1.0 people who start a podcast because it's unsafe, it's uncomfortable, and they may not belong, <laughs> right? Uh, and and it's, a, it's a slog to get a podcast going. So most podcasters, I would say, are, are usually in Mind 2.0. I want to start the podcast so that I could be seen so that I could stand out and so that I can get ahead. Mm-hmm. But then there's also podcasters who are, look, I'm not creating this podcast because I want to stand out or I want to get ahead. I am creating this podcast because I want to lift others. And that's their motive for doing it. And, and to me, that's that that's one way to kind of portray these three different mind levels. And, and there's nothing wrong with starting a podcast could be seen or, or whatever, there's there's value that comes from that. But there's also a higher level of operation. Um, and I, I get the sense, Will, that you didn't necessarily start your podcast to be seen, although there's probably some of that. I know that I have some of that with the books that I've written. But I imagine mm-hmm. that um, we both feel similarly in that the, 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 the core reason why we create what we create is to ultimately to lift and elevate others. And, and that's much more of that mind 3.0 mentality. Yes, no, that's, that's perfect. And when I, 
was first introduced to the concept. Uh, you know, I heard you speak at the University of Louisville, uh, and then I, I dove into your books. I got through both books in about two weeks. Uh, incredible reads. Um, but ultimately, I realized that, you know, I I operate in in all three levels at different times, and I have and I have throughout my life, and I noticed that. You know, earlier in my life, I was much more 1.0 and then kind of transitioned more to 2.0. And I find myself starting to get more into 3.0. Still a lot of work to do, of course. But I think to even understand that you still have work to do is kind of what helps you get to that 3.0 because you you become self-aware. Yeah. Uh, but when I noticed that, I wanted to ask you about time and the time that you spend in each mind level. Yeah. Yeah. So... What, what you're bringing up is such an excellent point. So, so naturally, when we talk about, when we lay out these three mind levels, mind 1.0, mind 2.0, mind 3.0, I think the natural question that we start to ask is, and it's an incredibly powerful question because most people never even ask this question. And that question is, what is my vertical altitude? Where am I at, mm -hmm. right? Which is an awesome question. I love everything about the question. But it may not be the best question to ask. It surely is a really helpful question. Another question to ask is to your point is because we don't spend 100% of our time in any of these mind levels. So, so the other question we can ask ourselves is what is my center of gravity? What percentage of my time am I spending at each of these mind levels? And when we think mm -hmm. about it in that way, then it becomes how do I spend a greater percentage of my time in mind 3.0? How do I get there and how do I stay there? And what I've learned studying mind 3.0 people is they develop daily habits and practices that get them into that right mind frame and stay in that right mind frame. The reality is, is I'm, I'm working in, in my consulting practice with thousands of leaders every year. And what I find is that most leaders do not have a daily practice to get them into the right mental headspace, right? And I'm not saying there's even one right answer to doing that, but science suggests things like meditation, gratitude journaling, um, other forms of journaling, like I've got a five-minute journal that I do every day, uh, reading mm -hmm. inspirational quotes, um, engaging in like... Uh, all the rage right now is to do the cold plunges, which there's a lot of research <laughs> suggests that those that's an awesome thing to do, right? So yeah. the really, the most vertically developed people, the people who spend the most time, highest percentage of time in mind 3.0 are people who, in, who set up daily habits and practices to get in and stay in mind 3.0. So if you happen to be a listener listening to this and, uh, Hopefully you're evaluating, ah, do I have some of these practices? Hopefully this is some motivation to, to build in some of those practices if you're not doing them already. For sure. And, and your books are a fantastic place to get started. A couple other books like jumped into my mind while you were saying that because uh, the 5 a.m. club I thought was a good one to mm. introduce some of those good morning habits uh, to kick The Morning Miracle on. is another one that I'm, I haven't read the 5 a.m. club, but the Morning Miracle is, sounds like the same idea. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out too. Uh, so early on in your book, I, I liked where you introduced uh, three kinds of leadership problems. And, and those were known spoken, known unspoken, and unknown unspoken. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on those three leadership problems? For sure. So known spoken are, are problems that we know when we talk about. Well, in the leadership space, one of the known spoken problems is what's happened over the last several years, partly because of the COVID pandemic, is the complexity of our world has skyrocketed. But what we've got to ask ourselves is, has our ability to navigate complexity kept up with that rising complexity? And the reality is that it hasn't. And so now we're dealing with the repercussions of that within organizations. So what we're finding is some rather dismal leadership statistics. Like, let me give you some of these. 71% of organizations don't trust their current leaders to lead them successfully into the future. 
75% of organizations um, state that they're not effective at developing their leaders. 65% of employees would rather have uh, a new boss compared to more pay. And then even in you get into the mental health statistics around leadership, 70% of leaders over the last year struggled with some form of mental health, the most common being sleep-related issues. Um, and this is the statistic that jumps off the page to me, is pre-pandemic, 1% of leaders admitted to thinking about self-harm. Right now, 7% of leaders have admitted to thinking about self-harm. And that's people wow. that are willing to admit it. And that's a seven times increase over the last three yeah. years. So like that, though all these statistics are evidence that we've got a leadership crisis going on, right? That's, a, that's mm -hmm. our known spoken. I think we know it. We're willing to talk about it. Um, the, the known unspoken that we aren't willing to talk about is that while we know there's leadership problems, at least in the leadership development community, what we don't talk about is how our development programs stink. Right? They're just, mm -hmm. I'm not saying they're bad. They're just only incrementally helpful. They're not mm -hmm. transformationally helpful the way we want them to be. So that's, to me, that's kind of the known unspoken. We know it. There's documentation that our leadership development programs stink. Um, but we, we don't like talking about it because that might mean that I put myself as a leadership developer out of a job. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the known, known spoken. The unknown unspoken is what we've already surfaced. Mm -hmm. Is that, so there's a problem with leadership development that we, most people don't know. And because they don't know, they don't talk about it. And that is that, is this concept of vertical development is if, if we want the transformational leadership development to occur, we have got to introduce vertical development, but because mm -hmm. most people don't know about it, we're, we're not, we're not doing it. Let me give you an example of this. And to me, this is kind of like the elephant in the boardroom, if you will. Um, what I've learned working with leaders is the number one thing that holds them back from being a, a more effective leader is their own personal fears and insecurities. Mm, but yeah. how often do we create space for a leader to surface their fears and insecurities and work through those in a healthy way? Because that's what vertical development actually is. It's mm -hmm. helping people to awaken to their fears and insecurities and, and heal from those. Like, here's some examples. Um, in my coaching that I've done with CEOs, one CEO, I asked him, why did you start your business? And he said, to prove others wrong. Right? That's just a cover for some fears and insecurities that, that yeah. are going on beneath the surface. Another leader, he was more direct about it. And he says, honestly, I don't like myself. I try to I try to get results in my business because when I get results, it makes me feel like I'm worth something. Wow. Right? Another one, another CEO said, when I was a kid, my best friend was my bike. Like that shows up every day in his leadership, right? Yeah. And, and in fact, that particular CEO is somebody who brought me in to work with his executive team. And I'm like, um, are you going to participate in this development program? He's like, no, I just need you to help my team. It's like, you got to be kidding me, right? Um, yeah. and, and is that his unwillingness to engage in leadership development? Is that connected to him not having or him having his bike be his best friend as a kid? Absolutely, it's connected. Mm -hmm. um, and he's just unwilling to kind of surface it and wrestle with it himself. So those yeah. are examples. That's We've all got them. We've all got our own fears and insecurities. Uh, and, and vertical development at its core is about diving into those. Look, the deeper mm -hmm. we go inward and 
the higher we could go in terms of our vertical development. Because what vertical development really is all about, it's about elevating our being. And I'm going to phrase it even slightly differently. It's ultimately about healing our minds, our bodies, and our hearts. And to me, that that's that's why I focus on vertical development, because to me, that's meaningful to, to help people heal their minds, their bodies, and their hearts so that they could show up as the best version of themselves. That's it. That's what, that's what it's all about. Um, and and I, I love, I love the, I love the passion that you bring behind it. Um, first off, it, it truly shows that you don't do this from a mind 2.0 standpoint. This is really about elevating others, like helping others get there. And I was blown away by the statistics uh, that you shared as I was reading them in the book. And if that doesn't tell you how big of a problem it, this really is, like, I don't know what will. Like, it's very eye opening. Uh, and a big piece of that, it, I love bringing up self awareness. Like, that's truly the key to change. Uh, but it also sounds like you mentioned in some cases, you could be trying to help someone become self-aware, but they may have too too much of a closed mindset to to be willing to receive the feedback or to want to make a change, or maybe they're a little bit older and they're already set in their ways. Um, have you found any way in, in those situations to kind of help somebody through that if they're a little more closed mindset, but someone wants to offer the the opportunity for improvement? Well, um, so I think that there's, just the reality of it is there's easier nuts to crack than others, (laughs) if you will. Um, But I I think that there's hope for everybody and the timeline for people are, you know, for one person to another person might be completely different in the vertical development journey. I mean, the Mm -hmm. reality is, is that um, about 15% of the executives that I coach I, I do an ex, a vertical development exercise, and in the exercise, I, I get to a question, and the question comes up rather naturally, and that question is, what fear is going on here for you? And for 15% of executives, they'll sit back, sit up in their chairs, they'll puff their chest out, and they'll say, I don't have any fears. I'm not driven by fear. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, are you... Uh, not don't have any fears or are you not in touch with your fears? Cause I happen to right. believe that everybody has fears. And mm-hmm. so, so there are definitely tougher nuts to crack. Um, I think, and, and everybody's journey is going to be different. I, I think it is really valuable when I see those people who I, I call them protective. They are protecting themselves. They're protecting something within themselves. And it's probably a younger version of themselves that was hurt at some point in time. All right. Yeah. So we, part of it, it helps me to just recognize that is, oh, this person has been, has been wounded um, in, in some form or some fashion. And, and let me bring, let me bring some warmth to that, to that place because that's going to be a necessary part of their journey. Um, so that's one of the things to think about. Another thing, another tool that I use um, is, and I have this for free on my website, I've got a mindset assessment, uh, which w- you can evaluate the quality of your mindsets across four different sets of mindsets. And what mm-hmm. I find is that, d- don't get me wrong, I get people who take that assessment and they, I get an email from them and say, this assessment is a bunch of crap. It's completely wrong. I have more positive mindsets than what it says. And, and that's great. <laughs> but what it does do is it gets our foot in the door because it pro- provides objective information about the quality of their mindsets. And mm-hmm. uh, let me give you an example of, of a situation that I thought was quite comical, although sad at the same time. So I, I, I'm working with this group. Um there's kind of three leaders of this group and they bring me in to do a workshop for their group. And I have them all take my mindset assessment in advance uh, of the workshop. And I noticed that one of these three leaders hadn't taken my mindset assessment. And so I reach out and I said, Hey, uh, will you take my mindset assessment? And they're like, yeah, sure. So they take it. 
And then I get this scathing email, right? It's this, this mindset assessment is crap. This is completely wrong. I, I don't think I'm going to show up for this workshop tomorrow. And I'm thinking, oh, gee, what a nightmare. But also at the same yeah. time, I recognize that she's rather hot. And I'm like, I'm not going to touch this right now. I'm going to sleep on it. Let's, let's see what happens. So, but good news is I wake up in the morning to an email from her. And the email goes something like this. It essentially says, well, I talked to my husband last night and I think it would be a good idea for me to be a part of this workshop, right? <laughs> and like, it, that's kind of the power that the mindset assessment can have is it surfaces things that allows us to explore, at least opens mm -hmm. the door for that. Not, yeah. not that everybody takes it, but I think it, I think it gets the foot in the door. Definitely. I, I think it matters the people you have around you too, because you, you can be, you know, receptive to feedback from some people and not others. And then it matters how the information is delivered. Um, so all of those are great concepts. Um, because we're limited on time, there's a few things I want to make sure that we get to today. And so all around the concept of what we've already been discussing, but it sounds simple, but it's a concept I love so much. And that's where you uh, break down the difference between doing versus being. Can you explain that piece a little bit? Yeah. So, and, and this stems from what part of what I observed doing my PhD on leadership. So I did my PhD at Indiana University. My dissertation was on leadership. And it was great because it allowed me to review the last 70 years of leadership research. And what I observed is that there's been one primary question that's been asked over the last 70 years. And, and it's a good question. I'm not going to say it's a great question, but it's a really good question. And it's led to some really, really good and interesting findings. But the question is, what do leaders need to do to be effective? And I think that in the, the consulting work that I do, that's the question that most leaders kind of want me to provide to them. What do I need to do to be effective? Um, well, it's a good, good question. It's led to some good answers. To me, it has always felt rather short-sighted because to me, leadership isn't about doing things. It's not about checking the box. It's about mm -hmm. being. And, and being is just deeper than, than doing. Um, it's the be, do, have model that I ascribe to, whereas others kind of reverse that. So the being is a, is a calling for us to change and improve who we fundamentally are. Um, whereas doing that doesn't necessarily mean that we change who we are. We just change what we do. Mm -hmm. And, and another Another space to, for us to think about this is around the space of emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is largely, when we go through, create emotional intelligence development efforts, we largely make them horizontal. Here are the things mm -hmm. that you need to do to be emotionally intelligent. You need to listen. You need to you know, introspect. You need to control your emotions. But the reality is, is, that ver is that emotional intelligence isn't a horizontal development principle. It's a vertical development principle, right? I could tell you all day long, and we could even role play it, Will, of you engaging in active listening. But your ability to actively listen in a stressful situation is not contingent upon how much we, ro we role played. It's contingent mm -hmm. upon how much control you have gained over your body's nervous system and mm. your ability to regulate in stressful moments. Now that's emotional intelligence. Um, and so that's an example. Emotional intelligence is an example where we tend to boil it down to doings and it just doesn't work where we need to focus on instead is the beings. Yes. Yes. I love it. Um, when I when I heard you speak and, and that concept was introduced and then reading about in the book again, uh, just wanted to make sure people had that because it's so powerful. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that piece. Uh, uh, also around the topic, you talk about three different learning orientations uh, that you get into in the book. And I 
I realized that I've operated in all three orientations as well, as I talked about, <laughs> um, being through all different mind levels. So would you introduce those uh, three orientations for learning uh, and the mind levels associated with them? Yeah, so this comes from the goal orientation literature, and the, the, the findings are really fascinating. And I think the best way to introduce them is I want you to step back. If, if you're a listener, think about your college, a college class or how you approach college or even high school classes. Because I see these three goal orientations in my students that I teach at Cal State Fullerton. So I've, I've got one type of student that's kind of like, I don't care what grade I get in the class. I just don't want to fail. <laughs> right? And that's, that's what we would call a performance avoid. Is I, I don't necessarily want to demonstrate my competence. I just want to make sure that I don't look like an idiot. That I'm incompetent, so that's mm-hmm. that's performance avoid. Then you've got other students that are I want to get the best grade in the class. I want to demonstrate my competence, and that's what we would call performance approach. And oftentimes, what research is borne out is that when people have either of these approaches, performance avoid or performance approach, they don't engage in deep level study strategies. They only engage in surface level study strategies. So another way of saying this is they want to do as little as possible to either pass the class or to get an A, right? So for me, I resonate with this because for my high school and college career, I was this performance approach. I want to get an A, but I want to do so with as little work as possible. Like that was yeah. that was me. Um, but there's another type of goal orientation and what we call a learning goal orientation. When we're here, we don't care about our grades. What we are focused on is learning and mastering the material. And guess who ends up getting the best grades? Those who learn and master the material. See, the the learning goal orientation people is they they are not trying to survive the short term. They are trying to excel in the long term. That's where yeah. they're that. And the people who get here are really vertically developed people. They're really cognitively and emotionally mature to the point where they can recognize I am invest. I am investing in my future right now instead of I am tr- trying to survive the moment. And surprise, surprise, there's not a whole lot of 20 something year olds that have that level of maturity. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it, you know, comes with time and real world experience. I remember in my younger days of education where it was, you know, I just want to figure out what I need to know to do good on the test. It wasn't about learning or retaining the information. It was like, what do I have to do to do good on the test? You know, just give me the answers. (laughs) Um, And and that's improved. And I was actually blown away. Um, Not too long ago, I was at an event that had a, like a trade show set up and there was an online college there that was promoting their, uh, their courses. And, and I stopped by to ask because there was a position that I was interested in. And I thought, you know, if I took just a couple of classes in uh, data analytics, it would help me to be more effective at that position. And so I was like, you know, what, what would I need to do to just take one or two classes? And they're like, well, we just offer programs. Like, don't you want something for your resume? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm actually just, I want to learn the information to use toward a job. And they seemed blown away by that concept I, that, that I wanted to learn the information and that it wasn't to go on a piece of paper. And, and yep. I, it was actually not too long after I'm reading your book and I'm like, oh, okay, well, the statistics show that there's probably a lot of people that are just looking for that piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, there's so many people that I've coached where they've said to me, my whole life I've been chasing degrees and certificates as a way to elevate. And then they just Mm -hmm. have come to the realization is just because I have degrees and certificates doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a vertically developed person. Um, and, And they've been hunting... They've been wanting the benefits of vertical development by only doing horizontal development. And it, mm-hmm. and it leads them feeling stuck. And I, I hate seeing that, but also at the same time, I, 
I'm grateful I'm in a position where I can help them a little bit. Absolutely. And you, you do a great job of it. The books explained it so well. Um, so I'm going to keep harping all episode. Everybody like get the books because he really dives into it. And we've done a great job of introducing that topic. I don't want to give too much of your book away because I want people to go buy it. Uh, I also want to talk about success mindsets a little bit because mindset is one of my favorite topics to dive into. Uh, and also it ties so much into the elevated leader because it is about mindset and growth. Yep. Um, so can you introduce the the four different mindsets and, and discuss those a little bit? Yeah. So, uh, and let me do it in this way. So I, what I'm going to do, Will, if I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot, I'm going to ask you a question here. Uh, ah. You tell me uh, if society says these are good or bad desires. So I'm going to give you four desires. We've got right. the desire to look good, desire to be right, desire to avoid problems and desire to get ahead. Am I, I'm choosing one of those four. No. So do, does society say the, those are good or bad desires? Look good, be right, uh, avoid problems, get ahead. Good desires. Yeah. Society says these are good desires, right? Because, the, and that's justifiable because who likes to look bad, be wrong, have problems and get passed up? Nobody. Mm -hmm. But if these are our desires, where's our focus? It's on ourselves. I want to look mm -hmm. good. I want to be right. I want to avoid problems. I want to get ahead. And what we've come to learn is that while these desires are justifiable, they make us self-protective. And these are desires that are actually fueled by what I, what I would call four, the four negative mindsets. They're mm -hmm. called fixed, closed, prevention, and inward. And these exist on one side of a continuum because there's another side of the continuum where we have positive mindsets that actually fuel completely different desires. These mindsets on the positive side are growth, open, promotion, and outward. And when we have these desires, our focus is on learning and growing, finding truth, reaching goals, and lifting others. And when we have these positive desires and associated with their positive mindsets, we're not in self-protection mode. We're in contribution mode. That's that mind 3.0. Mm -hmm. But it's not easy to get here. I mean, let, let me kind of walk you through this. For example, if I want to learn and grow, I've actually got to be okay looking bad at times. If I want to find truth and think optimally, I've got to admit that I'm wrong at times. And if I, if I want to reach goals, I've got to wade through problems at times. And if I mm -hmm. want to lift others, I've got to be willing to put myself on the back burner at times. And I don't know about what you will, but... Those at times moments are really difficult to navigate. Yes. I, I just know for myself is I'm naturally prone to want to protect myself in those moments. Mm -hmm. But that's where vertical development comes in. And that's the connection between vertical development and mindsets is if we could shift our mindsets, we will vertically we're vertically developing. We are creating the space within us where we are okay looking bad, being wrong, having problems and getting passed up so that we can create value for others. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so the, these are the four sets of mindsets, fixed and growth, closed and open, prevention, promotion, inward and outward. And all of us, are the quality of our mindsets resides somewhere along each of these continuums. And for most of us, our mindsets reside below the level of our consciousness. They're there. They're driving how we think, how we learn, and how we behave. But most people aren't aware of what mindsets they have. They just kind of think, um, of course, the mindsets I have are good mindsets. My life has told <laughs> yeah. me that they are. But if we could bring these mindsets to the level of our consciousness, then we could go about the business of shifting them if they happen to be suboptimal. Um, mm -hmm. And what I've learned for myself is when I first learned about these mindsets, I had all four of the negative mindsets. And, and I, think I've, I think I've made significant shifts across all four of those. I've also had 40,000 people take my mindset assessment 
And what I found is that only 2.5% are in the top quartile for all four sets of mindsets. The reality wow. is, is that most of us have mindset work to do. And that mm -hmm. shouldn't surprise us because how many of us have given concerted, concerted effort to work on our mindsets? Very few of us. And if we haven't given concerted effort to become great at something, we shouldn't expect to be great at it. Uh, so most of us have some mindset work to do. So that book, Success Mindsets, is designed to help people awaken to what mindsets are, what mindsets mm -hmm. are out there, what mindsets they currently have, and then how do they move the needle on their mindsets uh, to, to become a more positive influence within their spheres of responsibility. Yes, that uh, fantastic explanation. Uh, love the explanation in the book and how deep it goes on the topic with that being just one of my favorite things to learn about and to, to use as an opportunity to grow and to elevate. Um, and a piece in the book that I, I loved is, is your thinking the best way to think? When you posed that question in the book, I was like, wow. And then you went on and you explained it and said, if you didn't think your thinking was the best way to think, you would likely change your thinking. And I was, I was just like, wow, it makes, it makes perfect sense. But that, that also helped me understand people with a closed mindset. Like if they think that their thinking is the best way to think, I don't need to change anything. Uh, it, I loved your story in it. So I want to see if you'd share your story of when you injured your knee and how that opened your mind to that concept. Um, yeah. So part of it is um, like I injured my knee. I pulled this muscle on the back of my knee and it's just like not healing. And, and I'm just like, and I, I'm doing everything in my power to try to get back, back on. I like running to try to get back on the trail so I could, I could be running and, and come to find out that everything that I was come to find out that like, I went to all these specialists and I'm not getting any re resolution to this. And I grew mm -hmm. up playing sports. Like I consider myself a fairly athletic person and it's like, you know, I didn't necessarily run track or cross country in high school. I did football and basketball. I sure did a heck of a lot of running uh, doing that. And, and the last, and like, I just kind of came to my wits end about this. I was like, I have no clue what else I can do. Like the doctors say that I've got to pull muscle. Physical therapy isn't helping. Like what's going on. And so I'm kind of like, maybe, maybe it's my shoes. Like, let me go buy some <laughs> new shoes. So I go buy some new shoes and, and I pick out the shoes. I take them up to the counter it's at this running store and the person checking me out says, Hey, uh, we've got a running class this weekend. Would you like to join? And they'll check out your running form and give you tips on how to be a better runner. And I think any time before that, I would have said, hell no. Like I'm like, <laughs> I could probably teach the class. It's kind of like where, where I was, yeah. but because I had this knee issue, I was like, shoot, maybe, maybe that's my issue is my running forms out of whack. So, so I end up going to this running class that weekend, um, and and they the the instructor says there's there's the four kind of basics of running, and, and he's walking through the basics like run on the ball of your foot and not your heel, um, have a certain cadence, right? So it's like 180 steps per minute is is the most appropriate cadence. Um, how you you actually need to lean forward when you run. I'm now spacing the the fourth thing, but he, he's going through these, and I'm like, and he's and he records my running. He's got an iPad out there. He's recording my running. I'm doing terrible on all four of those things. <laughs> like, and I just thought my whole life, like I've played sports. I know how to run. One of my mm -hmm. issues is I was running on my toes, not the ball of my feet. I was running. Yeah. Um, you know, slower than 180 steps per minute. Um, or in, in, right. So I just realized, and I was, while I was on my toes, my chest was like out instead of forward. Right. So I thought that my thinking about running was the best way to think until, you know, divine intervention, if you will, said, <laughs> eh, maybe you should take a running class, which I did. And, and I was just like, oh my, all right. Yep. And, and that's, and I, my knee was fine after that. 
uh, I, I made those changes and was perfectly fine. It, it's crazy how some of those difficult moments in life are, are things that open our mind, you know, like going through that challenge, like I want my knee to get better and, you know, trying this and trying that. And then eventually it led to maybe, maybe there's something I missed here. Maybe, maybe I just try this and, and it just opens up a whole new world. And I think that hits people at different points in life, uh, you know, different experiences at different times, but it, it just takes one thing and it opens your mind in a completely different way. Uh, speaking of challenges that, that you learn from, uh, you, you share a story about when you had a data analyst role, um, where you, you kept trying to find ways to use your skill set to add value and, and kept hitting walls and, and eventually were let go. And you, you mentioned feeling like a square peg trying to fit into a round hole there. And I had to bring that up because I, I've been there before and, and related so much. I know that there's other people who have been there before, and there's probably people listening that are there right now. Um, so can you share a little bit about that experience for, for you and what you learned from it? Yeah. So to, to paint the picture is I was, I took the job at Cal State Fullerton. I was a professor for two years. I then took a leave of absence to, to work for a consulting company called Gallup and uh, to me, this was a career shift. Like I didn't anticipate going back to academia. This was my future career. And about 10 months into that job, I got fired. And I never, ever thought that I would be somebody who got fired. And it was just, it was, I was, they put me in a position where I felt stuck. They weren't willing to make adjustments. Therefore, it was kind of like, you got to go. And so I got fired. And, and it, that sucked. Like I totally threw me off kilter. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? Well, I decided I could go, well, I could go back to the university. So that was the easiest thing to do, which I kind of did. Mm-hmm. Um, but that proved to be the impetus for my shift from mine 1.0 to mine 2.0. As up until that time, it had been all about my safety, my comfort and belonging. And Mm -hmm. what I realized through that is I was not going to reach my goals by staying in that mode of wanting safety, comfort, and belonging. That that I actually needed to, I needed to think differently. I needed to operate differently. At that time, I'm learning about mindsets. That's when I first started learning about mindsets. And what I discovered for me is I had a prevention mindset is I was more focused on avoiding problems than I was on reaching goals. And and I started to engage in daily practices. For me, it was at that time, it was using the five-minute journal. And that really helped me. It was a daily practice that was exercising my promotion mindset, neural connections. And I I developed much more of a promotion mindset. uh, And in the process, became more mind 2.0 oriented. I, I didn't care about my safety, comfort, and belonging. Evidence of that is I did a couple of things that I never would have done before. I became an entrepreneur, which I never thought I would ever do because it was too scary and unsafe. Mm-hmm. And I also went into debt in order to do so. And I was taught by my parents never go into debt. In fact, I graduated with my bachelor's degree and PhD without going into any debt. Right. So that was like I had never been in debt up until that point in time. So now I'm all of a sudden willing to be an entrepreneur and go into debt in order to, at that time, stand out, advance and get ahead. Um, and and to me, the, the, the inflection point for me was one, getting fired and then two, vertically developing on the back end of that, actually investing in myself. Right. Because there's a lot of people who go through a lot Everybody goes through hard times. Not everybody vertically develops on the back end of that. We've got to put in the effort to capitalize on that. But to your point, I look back at my life and it was, you know, the times where I vertically developed, unfortunately, it was brought on because of an obstacle. But that doesn't have to be the case. And that's why I love focusing on vertical development is we don't have to wait around for some to get fired or some bad thing to happen in order for us to vertically develop. We could just do it. It's just got to we just got to put in the effort. It just so happens that oftentimes 
you know, getting fired or having a big life event uh, will definitely give us the motivation to do so where it might be hard to muster up that motivation otherwise. But we don't have to wait yeah. around for that to occur, for sure. Yes. I like not waiting. Um, what I, I want to bring this up. We It'd be a, a whole nother episode topic. Um, and, but because you mentioned it, uh, I just wanted to say that when it comes to explaining and, and gaining understanding of neural connections, your book did one of the best jobs that that, that I've ever seen in, in terms of creating a, an easy to understand explanation of neural connections and, and how our mind works in that way. We, we don't have time to get into that big of a topic today, but I just wanted to say excellent explanation, uh, great learning point, and, and I just wanted to throw that out since you brought up that uh, that piece. Awesome. Yeah, so our, our mindsets are our neural connections. And vertical development is about upgrading our internal operating system, the wiring in our nervous system, which involves those neural connections. So that's another way of making that connection between vertical development and mindsets. Well said, well said. So uh, on the topic of inward, outward mindset, you explained that people should ask, who am I being that causes their light not to shine? Uh, that's something I've already, like, I've started, you know, taking action and implementing that in my life because I, I, I found that so insightful. Uh, and, and you brought parenting into the conversation, which is a big piece of where I use it. Uh, and regarding having a, a different approach to different kids, because not every kid is the same. So can you explain why it's better to have a different parenting approach with each kid? Well, let me even, I'm, I'm going to sidestep that question and I'll come back to it. Just because there was an episode that actually came up recently within our, our friend group where we live. And there, there's, a, there's a couple, in particular a, a woman in this couple, the wife, uh, she's had a best friend for the last year. And she, that best friend has kind of gotten a new best friend and has kind of pushed her out. So she's kind of lost her best friend. And, and what's interesting about this is the conversations around it are very much like that, that person was a bad person to push me out. That's kind of in the conversation. And I, I'm not saying that there's not a space for that. But what has not been a part of that conversation is that person who got pushed out asking the question, who have I been that has led to me getting pushed out? Is there something about me that maybe I'm not aware of that was grating on that person's nerves that I might stand to change? And, and I imagine that there's probably something there that could lead to growth and development. So she could get in a position of, she, my friend was actually a bad person and I don't like her anymore, to, huh, Maybe there's something here that I can learn from. Who am I being that their eyes are not shining? So that's that's an example. It's just very few people take that perspective. And to your point, is I think we could take that perspective with our children. Like I know as a parent of an 11-year-old and 8-year-old, part of me is like when they're misbehaving, I'm like, what is wrong with you? But maybe I, what I need to do is look in the mirrors. Who have I been as a parent? That has led to them misbehaving because that misbehaving mm -hmm. is probably a signal that I haven't been giving them enough attention over the prior two weeks. Mm -hmm. And this is just the culmination of that. Right. So I could I could it's really easy for me to look at the out the window and say, what's wrong with all of these people? It's not yeah. so easy to look in the mirror and say, who am I being that their eyes are not shining? Um, and that if we could get to that place, we will operate at such a more conscious level. And that's the, that's the key, whether we're talking about parenting, friendships, leadership, etc. If we could be more conscious, we're going to be more effective. Yes. And it's, it's a hard question to ask because it does turn it inward and it does make you ask the hard question of you know what what am i actually doing you know is there something i need to improve on you you might find that it really is a problem but there's a lot of cases i think where you can you can adjust something in yourself to have a better outcome 
And so I, I love that piece uh, and, and got into the conversation with my, my wife about it because uh, I had to explain that piece. And then uh, because we have two kids as well, uh, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And so I, I brought that up and we're talking about, you know, different, different parenting approaches. And she said, you have to ask them this while you're on the show. Uh, so in, in terms of the different parenting approach with, uh, each kid, do you think, uh, gender can play a role into that, uh, in terms of, so we have a boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I was curious as to your thought on if gender plays a role into that, um, different parenting approach based on, you know, who am I being causing, causing the light not to shine? Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm no parenting expert. I would say, uh, based upon my experience in reading parenting books, um, is gender can play a role, but I don't think it always plays a role. Um, th- there's a really great book. Um, it's called The Conscious Parent by Shafali Tisberi. I may not be pronouncing that last name right, um, but The Conscious Parent. And I would say that book has probably done more for pushing me as a parent than any other book that I've read. Um, because it is all about becoming more conscious. Using these, mm. using the the hiccups that occur in daily life to teach us as a parent, right? How do we morph to better support this unique independent individual that we happen to be raising as opposed to how do we get them to morph to our rigid ways of parenting? Um, And that's truly aspirational for me. And I've got a lot of work to do. I, I think we all do. Uh, I'm definitely going to check that book out. Uh, so appreciate that recommendation. Uh, we're we're getting into the point where uh, I know we're getting close on time, and uh, you know, truly grateful for you taking the time today. There's so much we could dive into in these books, uh, but it, it's definitely worth picking up. So make sure you all go buy the Elevated Leader and Success Mindsets. They're awesome. Is there anything I didn't ask you today that you think would be helpful to share with the audience? Oh man, we covered a lot of ground. I wasn't expecting to cover so much ground. So well, well done, Will. Um, no, but but let it, let me bring it back to this, which we talked about earlier, and I guess it's connected to to my purpose, which is vertical development. At the end of the day, is all about healing our minds, our bodies, and our hearts. And I'll stick with the parenting lens, for example. Is one of the things that I've learned is that my issues with regards to parenting is related to the trauma that I experienced as a child. Mm -hmm. And if I ever want to rise above my upbringing, I've got to heal from that past trauma. Um, So if I want to be a better parent, I've got to do more healing. And I don't think that that applies to just parenting. I think that applies to everything, including leadership is, if we want to become a better leader, if we want to become a better positive influence in the lives of others, the way that we will do that is not by learning, here are the three things you need to do. It's actually about healing our minds, our bodies, and our hearts, improving our being. Um, so hopefully if there's anybody out there um, listening to this. I just hope it opens up the door to stepping into the healing journey. Uh, as I've done it, I've, I work with a trauma therapist. I've been doing so for the last two and a half years, and it's been game changing. It has helped me upgrade my internal operating system faster than what I would have done otherwise. Um, and I think that almost everybody would be able to say the same thing. Absolutely. I, I know that I can relate in terms of the the parenting aspect and past trauma having an impact on that approach. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I want to give you the opportunity to share if you're, are are you working on any events that are coming up or anything that you'd like to share or promote that's coming up for you? Oh man. Well, I'm, I'm in the beginning stages of writing the next book. So I'm all in creativity mode, which is a great mode and a great place to be in. Um, but diving into either of those books, uh, hopefully is a, is a way for you to deepen your understanding of the things that we've talked about. 
If anybody wants to go to my website at ryangotfordson.com, I've got assessments, I've got access to the books, as well as a whole host of additional other resources. And of course, uh, when it comes to connecting on social media, if anybody wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, that's the place where I'm the most active. So, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I can attest the uh, I've been to the website. The assessments are great. I love the feedback that you get from them. They're, they're very in depth in terms of explaining uh, the results of the assessments. Uh, I will put the website in the comments. So make sure you all go check it out. Connect with Ryan. Thank you so much again. I, I truly grateful for you taking the time, um, you know, being generous with your knowledge and information and sharing that to help people on their journey. So go get both of his books. I have one here. I listened to the other one on audiobook, The Elevated Leader and Success Mindsets. Uh, must reads to understanding how to improve your own mindset, upgrade your operating system, and that puts you in the best position to elevate others. So thank you all for tuning in uh, and allowing us to be a part of your journey. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to like and subscribe, uh, leave a review uh, and share it so that we can reach more people. So join the conversation by commenting with your thoughts and questions and let's grow together. Thank you.